Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the pastor here. And we are in the middle of a series called Here is the Church. Uh, Today, we're talking about the kingdom colony uh, that God has designed us to be. Now, have you ever traveled to a foreign country and visited there and find yourself just longing for a little piece of home? Maybe the language is overwhelming. Maybe the sights and the sounds are different than what you're used to. And as you travel, that's what part of the excitement is, this adventure and things that are new. But we all hit parts in us when we travel somewhere foreign where we want a little piece of home. Uh, Years ago, my wife and I were gifted a trip to Paris from my parents. Uh, We were visiting them in London and they had gifted us this trip to take the Eurostar, which is this train that actually goes underneath the ocean. And we went uh, from England to Paris and we had a couple nights in a hotel. Well, once we got to the train station in Paris, we then had to walk to get to our hotel. And my wife and I, neither of us had taken French. Uh, We didn't really know how to communicate or understand anything in French. And this was a time before cell phones, before Google Maps. And we were basically had this written map to get from the train station to our hotel. As we were walking, we had our luggage and we're beginning to walk through the busy streets of Paris and realizing that we have no idea really where we're going and how to get there. So we begin to talk to uh, these different French people and ask them for directions. And in France, for the most part, they really value their language, like most countries. And they really want you to attempt to speak their language before they will help you in English. Most French people know how to speak English, but they want you to kind of attempt French. And so here we are asking for directions. We have our French to English you know, language book, and we're opening up like different words where, and we're looking up the French word is, we're looking up the French word the, we're looking up the hotel and people are laughing. And it's just this overwhelming sense of like, we do not belong here. Finally, we get to our hotel. We're sweating, we're flustered, we're overwhelmed and we're hungry. We decide we really need a place to eat. So we're in Paris, one of the epicenters of some of the greatest cuisine in the whole world. Things that we've never been able to to try before, we have an opportunity to try. Well, do you know where we ate the first night in Paris? Any guesses? We ate in McDonald's. Now, doesn't that just sound like one of the lamest things ever? Well, why would we do that? Well, the reason is, in a foreign place, you're always looking for a little place like home. You're looking for something that's familiar, the sights, the sound, uh, with food, you want something that you know you've, you've potentially eaten before. And when we saw the golden arches, we kind of looked at each other and we thought, are we really going to do this? Thing is, we hardly eat McDonald's here, but in a foreign country, we knew what that was. And as we're in this series, that's what the church is. The church is supposed to be a group of people and an atmosphere and a culture that is familiar to us. It represents the life that we have as a citizen in heaven. And so as we're talking in this series, and specifically today, we're describing this kingdom colony. And that's what the church is. And so the church is a kingdom colony. And I want to describe uh, the definition of what a colony is. So according to the dictionary, a colony is a group of individuals or things with common characteristics or interests situated in close association. A second definition is a distinguishable localized population within a species. So a colony is a group of people that have a distinctive identity. So in this series, we're talking about how do we, when we decide to follow Christ 
And when we partner together with people in the church, how do we have a distinctive identity as an individual? And then how do we have this distinctive identity as a whole? And a scripture I read last week, and I want to read again this week, is Philippians 3.20. Check out where our distinctive identity comes from. This is what it says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, when you decide to follow Christ, you actually leave the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of, of darkness, and you enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light. Now, you don't automatically go to heaven when you decide to follow Christ, but there's a a piece of where now you're connected to forever. You're connected to eternity because that's, that's God and that's what he represents. He's forever. And so when you decide to follow him, his ways, his practices, his viewpoint on things begin to be the way that we should orient our life. And as a church, Our citizenship is in heaven together, and we need to orient our lives together in in that manner as well. And so today, we want to really talk about the distinctives between this kingdom colony within the church and what we find in life out of it. And my hope is that as you hear these distinctives, as you hear the, the special way that God has brought us together as a church, it will give you a sense of what you're a part of and also the importance of you stepping in and stepping up to engage in what God wants to do. I want to describe that verse a little bit more as it talks about being that, that citizenship. And so uh, there's a theologian, George Ladd, who wrote some really helpful perspective on uh, this verse specifically. And he defines uh, kind of step-by-step step what citizenship is. And this is what he says. It says, The word uh, polytema designates a colony of foreigners whose organization reflects their native homeland. We have our own home in heaven and are here on earth a colony of citizens of heaven. The life and fellowship of Christians in history is to, check this out, be a foretaste of life in the kingdom of God and reflect in the world something of what the eschatological reality will be. And eschatology there really talks about the final destiny. So when we are this kingdom colony, when we have our citizenship in heaven, like the scriptures say, what we are showing the world is that this is actually what is real. Now it's distinctive and it may be different. I mean, we may be even peculiar, but this is actually what reality is. And we represent what the final destiny will be. So in the church, in this group of people that gather to worship God, to love him and to love each other, to serve God and to serve each other, what the scriptures are saying is because that's the citizenship that we have of the kingdom, we're giving a picture of ultimate reality in this life and the life to come in forever. Isn't that so powerful? That's what a kingdom colony is. So the church, we are this kingdom colony. So what does that mean? Well, a kingdom colony is a counter-cultural movement. That's what a church is. The church is supposed to be this kingdom colony which represents a counter-cultural movement. I check out this scripture in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
Uh, There's a few things in the scripture. The first is this assumption that as a citizen of heaven, again, our native homeland is not here on this earth. Our native homeland, when you decide to follow Christ, is now in heaven, connected to the kingdom of God. So the assumption is, this is not our native homeland, so we're these aliens and strangers. Now, kids, if you heard that word alien, you may think, what does that mean? If I become a Christian, do I become this green, crazy creature now? No, an alien really means a foreigner. Like, you, you don't belong here. And then the stranger, another way to say that in other translations, is a sojourner. Somebody that, that is here temporarily. And so what the scripture is saying here in 1 Peter is as a countercultural movement in the church, you recognize two things. That you're a foreigner. You're never going to fully belong here. And two, you're just passing through. This earth and this life and what we experience is temporary. And that should help our perspective. Because if we don't belong and people view us as being a little bit different, that actually is in line with our new identity. Now, it doesn't mean that we be weird on purpose, but it does mean that we go against what the culture says if that misaligns with God's ways. What he says is right, we want to do what's right. What he says is true, we want to say is true. Whatever the culture says, we want to continue to look to God's word. And the more and more we do that, the more and more, again, we're going to be distinctive. We're going to come across like somebody who, you know, you don't exactly belong here. You're not like everyone else I've met. And that's the distinctive that God works to make a difference in this world. So we're foreigners and we're here uh, temporarily. Now, the scripture here also talks about that we're supposed to reject as these aliens and as these strangers, these passions and lusts which wage war on us. And these passions and lusts are things that, that we have inside of us, things to, to find our meaning and our value outside of God. These are things that we tend to chase. Certainly, materialism and the need to get more things. Oftentimes, the more things we own, the more things we buy, kind of boost our value. We think, because I have more, I'm worth more. And because I'm worth more, I am valuable. Sometimes we chase things to just feel good. Different substances, sex, drugs, whatever that may be. Again, we chase these things to give us value, to give us meaning. What Peter is saying is, church, the people of God, citizens of heaven, aliens and strangers, do not give in to finding your meaning and value in these passions. As you pursue them, it may feel like that's exactly what you want, but then when you pursue it, you're empty. So Peter's warning you, this is not the way of the people of God. You've been given a new identity. Do not chase your patterns. What's interesting about human identity is not only do we chase our pattern, but human identity, as far as the culture defines it, is always based on what our differences are. Have you noticed that? When you look at who you are, you're always looking at who I am compared to somebody else. And so we get into comparison. I look different than you. And I have more status than you. Or I'm smarter than you. And so, so many times our identity is not just in the meaning and value of our passions, but also how we stack up in our differences compared to others. What Peter is saying is, you can't get into this. The Christian life and the Christian worldview is, we actually don't base our identity on our differences. In fact, despite our differences, the things about us that may look different, of our skin color, of our socioeconomic status, of our background, our past, 
Those things actually don't define who we are. What defines who we are is, again, we're citizens of heaven. We're aliens and strangers together. We don't belong, but we don't belong together. And that forms a bond in the church that Peter is saying, this will, although the outside world may demean you or have something bad to say about you, he ends that passage saying, they're going to look at your life and see that it is different. And there's something about it that's going to draw them to ask questions. So we're distinctive. We're a different group. We're just passing through. We're foreigners. We don't fully belong. For the rest of the message, I want to just highlight three ways that this plays itself out. What are these distinctives? So as a kingdom colony, we move countercultural. Well, in what ways? Well, the first is we truth in love. We relate in a way that the truth, God's word, his handbook and guide for life found in the scriptures, that really does form the basis and the foundation of our life. Our own meaning, our own value, how we treat people, our attitudes towards our present, our past, our future, that forms the basis of how we operate, how we live, and how we evaluate. Check out this scripture in Ephesians 4. This is verse 15 and 25. And it says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And now Paul is speaking. We've heard from Peter. Now we hear from Paul. And Paul is again instructing the church. This is how you're supposed to operate. And he begins with rather. So this, there's this emphasis of don't pull back from people. Don't give into the lies. Don't try to appear one way and then act another. He, he's saying, make sure that who you are matches on the inside to the outside. That's what it means to have integrity. And he's saying in the church, it's so important that truth and love go together. A Timothy Keller, a pastor and an author, says this about how truthing and love works. Check out this quote. It says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. So what Paul is saying and what Timothy Keller is is building on is this sense of you have to have the truth and love together. If you have the truth, but not love it, it's harsh. If you have the love without truth, it's sentimentality. Just meaning, I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear. And I'm just going to let you see what I think you want to see. But it's not real. It's plastic. It's fake. That's what Paul is saying is in the church, fake and people not being genuine, that's the way of this world. But you in the church, you should be genuine with the truth and with love at the same time. That's a challenge for all of us. What that means practically is I'm going to open up my life and be honest. In fact, that's one of the values that we have here at Ridgeview Church, to live an honest, open life before others. That doesn't mean that we tell every single person we meet within the church every single thing about our life. That doesn't mean just transparency, but what it does mean is there's people that I confide in that know who I am and what's going on inside of me. It means I'm not faking it. I'm not coming across uh, like different or deceitfully or doing these things to just kind of 
hide who I am. It means I, I, I pull towards people. I let people know my struggles, what's going on. And so practically, truthing in love means I'm going to let you see who I am. And I'm also going to live by the truth, what God's word says about who I am. And together, we're going to be loving and truthing at the same time. We're not going to get into harshness and we're not going to get into sentimentality. We're going to do this relationship in a right way. And when the church does this together, truthing and love, we stay on course because we're being guided by God's word. And not only that, because of the love, we're creating an environment where people say, wow, these people value the truth, but they, they're kind to each other. They value their relationship. They're not harsh. And if they mess up, they clean up. That's a distinctive of this kingdom colony that moves against the culture. We truth and love. Uh, here's a chart of some specifics of this. So in the world at large, uh, here's what, what people tend to do. And I'm going to kind of highlight, here's what the world tends to do. And then here's what the kingdom colony does. So let's start with the world at large. So people tend to trim the truth to suit the powerful. Okay, we just want to have the truth in a way that the powerful can get more powerful. And the truth is used as a way to leverage sometimes wrong and bad and selfish people. And that's not right. Also, in the world, it's used to utilize deceit for advantage. If you can deceive to get ahead, the culture says, do it. What people don't know doesn't hurt them. But that's not the way of the kingdom. And then fine, finally, the world tends to use truth to damage. I have a truth about you, something that no one else knows. And if I have to play that card, I will. And we can use that again to manipulate people. Have you guys experienced that? I have. I've seen that. Man, it just chokes the life out of relationships. So what's the distinctive of the church? Well, in the kingdom colony, we don't compromise God's word to satisfy society. This is a distinctive. What God's word says, again, it may seem like it's outdated in our culture, but if God says it, we are gonna do it because he is the giver of truth. He is the giver of reality and his word is our guide. The second is we're not gonna lie or deal falsely with each other. That's just one of those things. We're not gonna go there. It's so easy to deceit. It's so easy to lie. Sometimes even simple things. But as a church, we've got to say, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to fake it. And then finally, we speak and we do the truth in love. And I've already described that. But that's just the commitment that we make in the church. This is who we are. So that's the first distinctive. We truth in love as a kingdom colony. The second is this. We practice reciprocity. Now, reciprocity is not a word that we use that much in today's world, but reciprocity is this sense of what you do, I do back to you. What we do, we do back to each other. It's the sense of we both are contributing and cooperating with each other in the church. There's this value where the relationship goes two ways. You take initiative with me and I take initiative with you. That's actually not the way of the world. Again, let's compare the two. So in the world at large, people tend to look out for themselves. I would agree with that statement, and I believe you would too. At our core, we all tend to do that. That's the problem of sin. Second, we're glad when blessing comes, but we keep the blessings for ourselves and we try to get as much as possible. Everybody loves blessing. Everybody loves something 
that will help them out. That's normal and that's okay. But when that blessing comes in the world at large, the idea is I just got to get as much as possible for me and mine. I got to take care of myself. That's the flow of this world. The last is you may or may not express appreciation. So you may be received something or somebody has blessed you and there's a part of you like, well, do I express appreciation and now I'm kind of indebted to them? Or maybe I showed that I really did need them to help me. Again, we don't want to come across as people that need help. We don't want to come across as people who need somebody to to serve us. We want to be so self-reliant. We want to stand on our own two feet. But that's actually not the way of the church. And this actually can give a lot of freedom. So in the kingdom colony, this reciprocity looks like this. We look to others' interests. That's actually another value we have called the hard attitudes. Hard attitude number one, we put the goals in and interests of others above our own. That's at the center of being reciprocal in our relationships. Second, God blesses us, and so we return gratitude to God. We give back to God, and then we pay it forward uh, to others. So we recognize God has blessed us, and it's come in a job that's provided us money. It's come in a, a place where we can live. It comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes of his blessings. And so the kingdom colony, we recognize that all perfect and good gifts come from the maker of heaven, God himself. And so we give thanks to him. And then we give back to him. We give, we give a portion of our money, of our income. If you're a follower of Christ, God wants you to actually give a 10th of what you have, 10% back to him. But then also he wants you to pay it forward. As God has blessed you, he wants you to look around and say, you know, I will bless those around me. And that's the last distinctive. More than appreciation, more than just saying something, we actually return blessing to others. So practically, as a church, one way that we practice reciprocity is if somebody has been a blessing to you, if they've encouraged you, if they've served you, if they've come you know, through for you in a certain way and God has used a person within the church, you should go out of your way to love and serve them back not out of feeling indebted or there's this like weight of a burden, like, oh, they helped me, I guess I need to help them. But it's more of this outflow of joy. God, use that person to bless me and I wanna bless them back. Or God, use that person to bless me and I wanna bless this person. And what you see is within this community of faith within the church, you've got a bunch of people that, man, they are loved and they love others. And people have given and they give to others. And that's the strength of the community. And again, the culture at large is holding on just for everything they have, don't want to give anything away because they're going to get ripped off. And that's just suffocating. But in the church, they can see, wow, these people, they really do serve and love each other. It's refreshing. It's like the breath of fresh air. So the kingdom colony runs cross-culturally, counter-culturally, goes in a different stream, a different flow. First is we truth and love. And the second is we practice reciprocity. Here's the third. We strive for unity and peace. This is actually part of God's cosmic plan for transforming the world. That's what we've been talking about. Here is the church. His plan is that in the church, from a unified people that work for peace, people will see, again, there's something in this group of people. I have conflict I have burdens. I have people that I haven't spoken to for years. My relationships are shattered. They're fractured. And that begins for people outside the church, for people who don't know God, that 
that just seems like that's normal. But in the church, it doesn't mean we're perfect. In fact, we're far from it. But when we mess up, we clean up. If there's offenses, we want to, to make those right. If we've wronged somebody, we confess it. That's how we strive for unity and peace. Check out the scripture in Ephesians 4. It says, live in a way that is worthy of the people of God has chosen to be his own. So live in a way that is worthy of the people God has chosen to be his own. Verse two, always be humble and gentle. Patiently put up with each other and love each other. Try your best to let God's spirit keep your hearts united. Do this by living at peace. That verse has, I think, a lot of nuances to it. There's a sense of which you, you're patient with people. You show forbearance, which means there may be people that are hard for you to love. And certainly in any circumstance in the circles we run in, there's people that are difficult for us to love. Sometimes they, they can be in our own family. But what Paul is saying is, is you, you put up with people. You, you have a patience for them. Not in a way that you're you know, stiff-arming them, but in a way that you, you're just looking over fences. That people may do things that annoy you. People may do things that bother you. But there's a sense in the church, we don't... Focus on these minor things. If there's sin, we deal with sin. But if there's annoyances, you know what? We want to be patient with each other. These are the things that we need in our, in our families. These are the things that we need in group life. These are the things that we need in our entire uh, community. But this striving for unity and peace, isn't this what the world is longing for right now? We're seeing protests everywhere. People wanting unity and peace, but nobody knowing how it is. And then even in these protests... The last thing from unity and peace is happening. It's actually causing more conflict and strife. But I think what it is, it's representing just this, this longing that we all have. And the church is supposed to be, again, this beacon of light saying, hey, we have unity and peace here. But the world, it just flows in a different direction. Let's look at another chart. So in the world at large, people tend to love getting their way. Again, I would agree with that. Why? Because I love getting my way. And I'm sure that's the same for you as well. Number two, you avoid the risk of feedback. Have you ever done something that you think, you know what, I probably messed up. I probably was harsh with that person. I was wrong. I treated them unfairly. And there's a sense in which you kind of want to talk to them about it, but it's too difficult because you don't want to know what they're going to say. Again, that's, that's normal, but that's not the way of the kingdom colony. The third in the world is... You have lower leader standards. Again, leaders are supposed to really encourage their followers to work towards unity and peace. But because the world doesn't know how to do it, oftentimes they don't even know what kind of a leader is needed to do that. And so they just kind of lower the standard, hoping that we're going to figure it out. And because of that, the next thing is you, you form power coalitions. This is the opposite of unity and peace. It's I have what I want, my own goals, my own desires, and I'm going to group with the people where we can help get these together. And so you, you end up looking at smaller factions, these smaller groups of interest, and you actually do that against the greater whole, the greater good. We shouldn't do that. Another is we acquiesce openly. To acquiesce means that you appear like you're going along with something, but you're actually doing the opposite. It's again, faking it. Like you have the appearance of like, I agree, but inside you're like, I don't agree at all. And that causes lots of problems. And then the last is, in the world, you undermine quietly. 
Your boss does something at work, all the coworkers have a reaction. And you may be in a work situation where uh, you are not the boss and you are a subordinate and in the workroom, the boss says something and all you need to do with your coworkers is give each other a look and you're all communicating like, here he goes again, here she goes again, speaking madness. They don't know what they're doing. And if you're a boss, you've maybe seen it where you've said something and you think, okay, they don't agree, they're not bought in, they flat out are coming against me. And that just could be through body language. That's the way of the world. Everyone wants unity and peace, and it happens so much through leadership, people following well, people leading well. But again, that's just not normal. Because without God and the grace he's given, the forgiveness of our sin, we have nothing to do with to deal with our stubborn selfishness. And our stubborn selfishness, this is what is at the core of disunity and strife and conflict. So what's the difference in the kingdom colony? Well, check this out. In the kingdom colony, we treasure unity and peace. What that means is it's not just a good idea. It's vital. If relationships are not right, if there's conflict, we take that seriously. In the scriptures, it actually says, if you're worshiping God and then you realize that someone has something against you, there's a problem in the relationship, you're supposed to stop your worship of God, leave, go make that relationship right, and then come back. That shows how important it is because we're supposed to treasure it. The second is we want to give and receive valid correction. That's another one of our hard attitudes, hard attitude number three. We want to give and receive scriptural correction. Again, relationships can get messed up and we can do things that get us off track. And sometimes we have blind spots. We need people that can look at patterns of our life and say, I don't know if anyone has ever told you this. I don't know if this is going to make sense to you, but out of love, I just want to show you that this is something you're doing and it's causing so much pain for you. I love you and I'm here for you and I want to help you. But in this love and truth, it comes out in that giving and receiving this, this correction. So sometimes you have to give it. Sometimes you have to receive it. And those aren't comfortable for us at any point. But at Kingdom Colony, we realize that's the thing that helps us stay on track. In my life, I've had people that have corrected me. And every time it stings. And every time there's a part in me that wants to defend myself. But if I take it and I allow somebody to speak the truth to me in a loving way, it can protect me from future pitfalls. It can actually change the course of my life. That's what the kingdom colony is designed to do. Third, within the kingdom colony, we want to have higher leader standards. Again, the leaders are setting the direction. They're setting the culture, how we're going to treat people, how we're going to go about this goal, how we're going to work for unity and peace in the middle of the task that we have. You see, you've got to accomplish tasks, but you also need to do that in a certain way. Leaders set that culture up. Also, followers, they intelligently should follow leaders. There's this idea of like, we want to follow leaders in the kingdom colony. We know that God has given us these leaders and we want to follow them in a way that will make it a joy for them. We follow well. And then we defer to the church's best. So there's a sense of which kingdom colony, this greater good, we look and say, what would be good for the church? And then what do I need to do in response for that? Isn't that so powerful? In a world where we just each look to our own interests, the kingdom colony means I'll defer what is best for the church. How can I position myself and my family to bless and serve the church? 
Isn't that a different type of feeling and thinking? And then the final thing is we deal with underminers in the church. That means in the, the world, undermine quietly. Everyone's just kind of going against quietly maybe the direction of a leader. And gossip can happen. Division can happen. Quarreling, grumbling. In the New Testament, some of the strongest warnings are for people who grumble and gossip within the church. Why is that? Well, when grumbling and gossiping begin to happen, it's, it's just like the spark which is going to start this terrible wildfire. And we're seeing these fires ravage our state right now. And you can see the destruction. Well, in the scripture, they talk a lot about the tongue being the spark that can set off these similar fires in our life. But when you gossip and grumble within the church, what begins to happen is it forms crack in the unity of the body of Christ. In this kingdom colony, we're all supposed to be unified on this mission to bring again God's light into the darkness. But when gossiping and grumbling exist, we're now going in different directions and these different power factions can happen. So the warning is do not work against the unity of the church. Do not gossip. Do not grumble. If you have a problem, you have an issue, you want to go to your leader. And I recognize my own role as the, the pastor of Ridgeview Church. I mess up and I make mistakes all the time. And I know we have other leaders within Ridgeview that would say the same thing about me and would say the same thing about them as they lead. Leaders are not perfect. Now, while we want to have high standards for leaders, we need leaders, including myself, who we will humble ourselves. We will admit when we are wrong. We'll get input. We'll get feedback on direction. But ultimately, we stand before God on how we've handled our leadership. And he's going to ask us to give an account. That's a heavy responsibility. And as a follower, you have a responsibility as well. If, if you have a problem with somebody, go to them to speak to them about it. Make it right. As you do, you get a, maybe away from that bitterness or you get away from that feeling. You, you need to talk to somebody else about it. If you go directly to the person, God begins to restore. God begins to give grace. And that just actually reaffirms this kingdom colony that, that God intends. And so it's actually a beautiful picture. So I hope this striving for unity and peace, the need for us to reciprocate in our relationships, and then this duty that we have to truth and love, I hope that gives you a sense of this kingdom colony. We move again against what's normal in culture, but this is what the world wants. They don't operate this way, but this is what they long for. And in the church, we have an opportunity to show them. So in closing, I want to encourage you just to take some next steps. We do this every week. And this is a way of you saying, I have this action that I can take based on what I hear. We don't want to be a church that we just get more ideas, more knowledge, and we fill up. The scriptures say that that causes you to puff up. You actually can get into arrogance because you know a lot but you're not draining it out into action. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to fill ourselves with, with ideas, but then it needs to get drained out into our action. It needs to be applied. And so here's some next steps. So uh, on your listening guide, you'll see these. And then also on the connection card, I encourage you to take that step and let us know. This is how you publicly, you make a statement like, I'm gonna take this step. So the first is, be someone who operates by heaven's ways that operates in the way of this kingdom colony. And you can circle uh, one of the three distinctives I've talked about. Maybe that's, I want a truth and love this week. I want to practice reciprocity. 
Again, bless somebody who's blessed you. Take initiative with someone who's done that with you. And the third is maybe you need to strive for unity. Maybe there's a relationship that you have that seems a little broken, a little fractured. There's maybe an offense. There's a misunderstanding. And you haven't quite addressed it yet, but you know it's there. It's like a sore. So you're not looking at it all the time, but you know it's there. And so maybe ask God to show you what, what is what you can do to take a step towards that unity. Second next step, and I encourage all of you to do that. Tonight, we have worship at the park. What we need to do, guys, is we need to get outside and gather again. We are the church. We're a kingdom colony. And the best way for us to remember that is we have to keep getting together regularly to worship God. And so I hope you'll join us tonight at 6.30. Now, I know there's lots of reasons for why you wouldn't want to come. For one, it's hot, right? It's hot out there. Two, it's a Sunday night. We're getting back into the swing of school and work. And I know this is all true. You may be tired. I'm tired. But I encourage you, I believe if you come, God will use it to bless you. So decide to come tonight at 6.30. You can see the details. We'll share that on the chat, the link, so you can know how to get to the park tonight. So I encourage you to do that. And last, you can sign up for our Exploring Ridgeview preview class. And I've been talking about these the last few weeks. These preview class and this Exploring Ridgeview series of classes is designed for you to say, okay, here I am. Here's Ridgeview Church. How do I take steps to get involved? In fact, how do I become a part of the team? You see, when we're talking about a kingdom colony, this is not some secret organization or secret group where you have to learn this, this handshake or you have to learn this certain lingo. Actually, we exist to include and welcome all people. And if you'd like to become a member of our church, and that means to formally join and be a part of the team to help us build this kingdom colony here and now, I encourage you to come to this preview class. We have a preview class, then we have a discover class, and then you can commit to formal membership. By coming to the preview class, you're not locked in. You can just take this step, like I wanna learn more. And in this class, it's an hour and a half, it'll give you a good overview of who we are as a church, where we're headed, and how you can take steps to join in with us. So I encourage you, sign up for that today. In closing, I wanna do something different. I wanna just give a little clip of a song that I think represents, I think, the sentiment of what this whole message is about. It's written by a songwriter who had left the church and he had experienced a lot of broken relationships. And there came a point in his church where relationships got reconciled and he experienced this, this truth and this reciprocity and this unity and peace. And I think it's about a 40-second clip, but he describes it here. So let's close this message with that clip. Let's watch it together. Was a time that I swore I would never go back I was blind to the truth, didn't know what I had I was running, I was searching But every place I turned for healing Left me more broken than the last Take me back to the place that feels like home To the people I can depend on To the faith that's in my bones Take me back to a preacher and a verse Where they've seen me at my worst To the love I had at first Oh, I want to go to church 